thank you for listening to Let's Get Real with Joseph KG. The purpose of this podcast is to bring value, hope, and inspiration. You will hear real-life stories of individuals who have overcome some real obstacles and now sharing their story to give you hope and inspiration. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for letting us share. Now, let's get real. All right, everybody, thanks you for tuning in to Let's Get Real with Joseph Cagey. And as you heard in the intro, the whole purpose of this podcast is we like to bring on real people who have real stories. I truly believe that it's in people's stories, the things that they've overcome, that anybody, whether you're in recovery or you're not in recovery, and you can get value from them. And and a lot of times what we realize is it's in our stories and the things that we've overcome that we learn that we can share with other people. And the person that I have on today, I had the pleasure of being on her podcast last week. And she probably thinks I'm just saying this because I was there, but it was one of my favorites because when you talk to somebody, you can tell their organic care. You can tell when they really actually value what the other person's talking about. And the reason I found that from Arlena, what, what she does now is she's a coach. And I, I've also found in people who are coaches, they have this passion. And I've always looked in the space. There's two types of people. There's people who are doing it for the money and they truly want to help people. And you can just tell. You can tell somebody's spirit and energy. So I've been excited to ask Arlena to come on. And Arlena, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Yeah, I'm excited about this. I was listening to a few of, of, of the podcasts, not trying to do too much homework, but doing a little bit. Um, and, and I saw that you've, you've written a book. Obviously, you're a podcast host and you're a coach right now. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. The book is still in the works. I'm hoping to have it published at the beginning of the year. But uh, I do have a website set up, the 12-step exploration guide. It's for people who are looking to navigate the 12 steps in a safe way. Yeah, that's actually a great a great start to it. Tell me about that. What What is about what is that 12-step guide and, and what is it the reason why you're doing it and giving it to the world? So the reason I've been doing it, so I got sober April 23rd of 94. So it's, it's been a minute. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and what I have seen, so I started my own podcast about six years ago. And when I started doing the podcast, I was exposed to the broader recovery community, right? Mm -hmm. The broader sobriety community. And what I saw over and over again, were these common, I would call them like misconceptions or misunderstandings about certain ideas of the 12 step program ideas. Like, you know, people see, they're like barriers. People see the word God and they, they, they're like, I'm out right? It's a religious program. I'm out. Mm -hmm. Or they see things like alcoholic. Oh, you have to identify yourself as an alcoholic. And people are like, I don't want to attach myself to some kind of shame label. Or uh, there's many other things, you know, the the literature was written in the 19, late 1930s. And it's very like male centered. Um, For heaven's sakes, there's a chapter to the wives. (laughs) Slightly condescending (laughs) to the women. A little old Um, school. Yeah, there's no chapter to the husbands. Let's just put it that right, way. Right, right. Um, anyway, but I was so sad. I, I every time I hear people like, "Oh, I hate the twelve steps," or "I hate the the community," I'm like, "Why? Why? Why? What is it about? What was different about me that my perception, my uh, co- the context of which I took the information in, um, what was different about me than these people who are saying they can't do it?" Right. right. Or they've thrown out the program completely because of these few barriers. So my intention is to bring context and perspective from my own point of view of how I overcame some of these obstacles. 
Um, you know, and for instance, for me, the word God, it's a word that we assign meaning to, right? And maybe you grew up, you know, I grew up with a lot of religious training and what I didn't, um, it just didn't resonate for me. Like I abandoned my faith when I, during my drinking and using and, uh, getting sober required me to, um, find a new concept of God, but they told me I could create a concept of a higher power that made sense to me. I was like, you can do that. Like, I didn't know that that was, I didn't know that that was a thing. And so I did. And that was one of the things it's like, oh, I'm not going to do the old way because that didn't work. I had a lot of internal resistance. But with Mm -hmm. new context and new perspective, I was like, oh, I didn't know that that was an option. And I had a guide, a sponsor who sort of took me through that process of like getting rid of the things that didn't work for me Mm -hmm. and adopting new ideas and really focusing on those ideas that that made sense to me like it needed to make sense to me right right and so that's the whole purpose of the book is i'm I'm hoping to really call out the barriers to entry and provide a path around those barriers you know Mm -hmm. around or through above below i don't care but i'm doing this because the process is so worth it yeah the 12 steps is a worthy endeavor and so I'm saying, do it your way, but do it. Right. Like, it, it can be a transformational experience. It's de- you will definitely get something out of it if you just apply yourself. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of twelve step people who are very like fanatical. And you don't need to worry about those people, right? Mm-hmm. It's take what you like, leave the rest, and do it in a way that makes sense to you. Yeah. So that's why I'm doing this because I want people to I want people to do it. I'm biased. It's worked <laughs> for me for 28 years, for heaven's sakes. Yeah. So, so and, and so did you go through the 12 steps yourself also? Many times. Yeah. Yeah. And, and many times. When you got sober, was it through the 12 steps and then you created something else? Or was it like the way that you what you created with the 12 step in the book, the 12 step endeavor? Or is it just your perspective of the 12 steps? So let me answer that in a couple ways. So when I first got sober in 94, um, if I take it back a couple steps, mm-hmm. I had sort of hit bottom two years prior. I had a, you know, the night what I would consider to be like a bottom where uh, my drinking and using, um, you know, they say this, those of us that are, you know, alcoholic, you know, we have the Jekyll and Hyde personality. Right. My personality is very different, you know, instant bitch, just add alcohol kind of a thing. (laughs) I often said that I have two alter egos when I drink. It's either wimpy Wendy or badass Betsy, because when I drink, I'm either fighting or crying. It's ridiculous. (laughs) We go to the extremes, don't we? Right. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, um, but anyway, uh, so that's sort of, I had a really bad night with my sister. The police were involved. I didn't go to jail. I, I physically assaulted my sister. It was bad. Right. It was bad. And I felt that the next day, that incomprehensible demoralization, she went to Al-Anon. I was offended because I was like, for me, like I was in that much of <laughs> after all of that, after all of that. That's funny. I, yeah. like, I know. I was like, and when I, and then, so uh, I was introduced to the 12 step program. There was nothing else. Like I, I guess there was rehab, but I didn't even know. I didn't even know that that was a thing back then. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I went to a lot of through a series of events. I ended up in the in the rooms and did the twelve steps, and it was so interesting that. I got to the rooms, as we call it, and uh, I was so self-centered, but incapable of self-examination. Mm. It was it was really about what can I get? How does it mean? What does it mean? Like I was all about me and my feelings and what could I get and fears about what I was going to lose and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't have any sort of practical way to deconstruct my behavior mm or deconstruct the relationships I was in to find out what the root cause of the problems were. All I knew is that I had problems in relationship and in all the relationship, I was the common denominator. Right. That's yeah. very offensive information to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and and like, what was, so like, as you're, as you're going through this, cause I always tell people, you know, it's like drugs and alcohol were the solution to our problems. And, you know, I've found as I've done this podcast that I've get so much feedback from people who are not in recovery and they're like, I learned so much from people in recovery because I, know, I, get, I hear that too. Yeah. And it's amazing. That's that's what I thought was pretty cool. And and I wanted to touch on what you were just talking about. You had mentioned that, you know, the, the problem was always you and, and you were like there was there was an issue here. Now, did you see that when you came in or was it pointed out to you? And then yeah. and then step the second part to that question is how did you uncover dealing with that. A lot of people run from it. How did you deal with that realizing, okay, it looks like the problem is me. Now what do you do? Well, I just knew that I had a problem, right? Like my life was not working. I tried all kinds of things. Like in that two year period from the time I had the, you know, the bottom to when I finally got recovery, I was trying all kinds of things to solve what I thought were my problems, right? Uh, I thought it was men or money. You know, I thought, right. oh, if I could just find the right man, then I, you know, fall in love, then I would be okay. If I just made enough money, then I would be okay. But none of that was working. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was just trying all these different books. And I lived in the self-help section at Barnes & Noble. I was really <laughs> trying to figure it out. But not really, like you said, um, alcohol was just the symptom of a deeper problem. And I was trying to find out what that deeper problem was. I didn't want it to be alcohol, but until I solved the alcohol problem, none of the other stuff worked anyway. Yeah. So it became this, uh, I was doing like Tony Robbins and uh, Harvey McKay, like I was in sales. And so I was doing all this, uh, you know, when you're in sales, you do like a lot of personal development, That's right, work, yeah. you know, goal setting, <laughs> just all this stuff. And it was always, I could see that drugs and alcohol I needed to get that out of my life so that I could perform in the way that I wanted to. I was very perform. I've always been very performance and achievement oriented, like low self-esteem. Like I got to do twice as much just to feel half as good. So it's all about performance (laughs) and achievement and money is a sign of achievement for me. So it was all, so that's kind of where my head was at. And I just had to, you know, I forgot what your question was, but it was really all about, Oh, you said about what, was I the problem? It wasn't until I did the four step that mm-hmm. I began to see patterns of behavior emerge on the paper. Cause I, right, did you do the, the four step? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so, right, yeah. Of course you said. <laughs> so, it's like, nope, I haven't done any steps. I just figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, I'm silly me. I already interviewed you. I forgot already. No, you're good. I'm, you're good. I'm, I'm all, um, but when I, so for those that don't know what the four step is, it's a searching and fearless moral inventory. It's a moral inventory. And we start off with the people that we're resentful at. Where are you carrying resentments? Some people don't, connect with the word resentment. So sometimes it's, um, you know, situations where you feel sad or, 
uh, de- you know, it just depends on who you are. The book calls it resentment. Right? Yeah, Where yeah. Are you, it's dealing with anger. Mm-hmm. So you write, you get really specific about the cause of the resentment and then how it affected you. What did it affect your uh, financial security, emotional security, your personal relationship with that person? You know, and then we identify the fears. It's typically fears of uh, not getting what you want or losing something that you had. Right. And then um, in the final column, it talks about, uh, Oh, and then self-esteem was one of the things that really stood out for me in the four step. And I'll, I'm going to circle back to that later because yeah. self-esteem is a really big focus of mine in my coaching. Um, but the last column was my part. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't see how a lot of things were based. Like, I'll just give you an example. Like, I felt like people didn't treat me right. Like people were being mean to me. And when I broke it down, I realized they were actually responding to an action I did. Right. So if I was being selfish or self-centered and didn't consider somebody else's feelings, they would get angry and retaliate. And it was that retaliation that I was mad about. So until I like saw my part in it, I was like, oh, so if I make different choices in these relationships, then they don't retaliate. If I'm more compassionate or considerate of others, like, cause they say that we're a group of people who have extreme self-centeredness. And that was definitely the case for me. Yeah. So yeah. that was, that was how I started recognizing that I had a part to play. And once I started owning my part, that's when I became empowered to change my life. Yeah. And it's amazing as you, as you were talking, I was thinking about was how much like you were reading self-help books and, you know, and you were doing so much and we were laughing about this when you interviewed me and you would ask like, what was the first book I read? And and I mentioned how I thought my problem was how to communicate with people because I was always like afraid to be around people. Cause I, you know, I, I had some stuff going on in my own life and when I got around people in recovery, I, like they were all like excited and talking to each other. And I was like that guy standing off on the side. Was, anybody knows me now. They were like, there's no way that was you but I was the guy standing off on the side and I would read I read a John Maxwell book of how to win with people and I thought that was my problem and and I'm hearing you talk about how you know you had this problem in your life and you're searching for the self-help but when you actually started to search inside yourself it's when you actually started to find the healing now as you're in the and I know uh, when I was talking to you before I said we'll get into your story before but we're we're starting some good stuff and we'll get into where you were but you know, you're doing some personal coaching now and you just talked about some self-esteem um, and it sounds like a good topic you want to talk about. And it's a good segue because, you know, a lot of people, they, they I, I've talked to some people, right? And, and they have a change in the life they want to make. But when it comes to what you just talked about, taking what's on your mind, putting it to paper, putting in the work, it almost like for us, I'm so grateful that I'm an alcoholic because I had to do it because it put me to like my bottom. And some people are like, well, I'm kind of dealing with a problem, but I don't know if it's my bottom. And you're, you're asking me to do this self inner work. And it's like, mm, I'll just maybe exercise a little bit more. I'll try something else because that inner work takes a lot of humbling. What are some things you deal with? Like when it comes to that self-esteem, that coaching, what do you tell people or, or how do you help somebody in that area? So it's so interesting. You know, sometimes people come to me uh, he said so much. It's it, I want to unpack everything you said, but I'll start with, you know, when someone comes to me and they're telling me that, you know, they're having an issue with drinking and then we start getting into it, you know, it's not why 
it's not why the addiction, it's why the pain, you Mm -hmm. know, that's the Gabor Mate quote. It's like, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain. And so when we start getting into it, it's like, a lot of times it's like about relationships. Like you were saying, right. A lot Mm -hmm. of the pain comes out of relationships and not knowing how to communicate or, and it's hard to communicate when you are so detached from yourself Mm -hmm. or you have self-hatred or low self-esteem. And so you know, women come to me and they're like, he did this and he did that and stuff like that. I don't even address that part because in my mind, it's like, why do you allow it? Like, what was it? What is it about you that chose that chose him? You know, this, there was this line in, from Marianne Williamson. She said, uh, it, can I swear on this? Can I drop that? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to ask you. Marianne Williamson said, you know, the problem isn't that you keep meeting assholes. The problem is you keep giving them your phone number. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right? Right. And so it comes back to self-responsibility. And that was like one of the things that stood out to me the most in my inventory is I was taking inappropriate responsibility for others, meaning wanting to fix and save others Mm -hmm. and inappropriate responsibility for myself. I was making other people uh, responsible for my happiness, Mm -hmm. right? Like I needed you to treat me a certain way. Otherwise I couldn't feel good about myself. And so self-esteem is about sort of reconnecting that relationship with self. How can you communicate with somebody about what you want and what you need if you don't even know? Right. Mm. And, and it's and if we dial it back a little bit, it's like when we're growing up, uh, women especially, I think, are taught we're taught to be the nice girl. We're not allowed to be angry or you're a bitch. You, you can't be sexual at all or you're a slut. You can't be too conservative or you're a prude. It's like you can't. Women are taught that they're not allowed to have feelings. Right. We're always taught that we're supposed to be different. We're standing in line at the grocery store with mom when we're little girls and all the magazines are like 10 ways to have slimmer thighs, you know, look different this season. Um, this is the new, like, you know, ways to make him happy. You yeah. Know, there's an like, image. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about uh, making other people happy so that we can be accepted and loved and okay. And the rules are always changing and it's never good enough. Right. And so women learn to disassociate from themselves. I'm sure men do too, but I'm a woman. So I'm just, (laughs) no, it makes sense. Yeah. You're sharing your experience. No, it's good. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we're, we're taught that we're not okay the way we are over and over. It's like this process of brainwashing. And then the nice guy comes along and we're like, ew, (laughs) because (laughs) we're like, because he doesn't agree with our internal opinion of ourselves, which is pretty low. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like this, oh, you must, what is wrong with you that you want me the way I am, right? Yeah. And so that's why, it's like my theory of why nice guys finish last and why women are always going after the bad boy. It's because whatever is on the outside is a reflection of what you believe about on your inside. Mm. So if you're attracted to those kind of men, that's my sign that, oh, you have really low self-esteem and we need to work on that. We start need We need to start uh, reconnecting with self, learning how to... Um, identify feelings, process them to resolution, practice empathy and self-compassion, prayer, meditation, journaling, service. Those are all self-care practices that uh, reconnect us with ourselves. I mean, I remember when I first got sober and um, I didn't have anything to fix my feelings. I was like a raw nerve ending and I was experiencing all these emotions and I couldn't identify what they were. Right. It was like, have you ever seen those like old timey pictures of the switchboard operator, 
you know, with the, they always have that funny updo hair. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that they're always sitting in front of a panel of holes and they have all these plugs. That's how I felt about my feelings. I felt like my feelings were these plugs and I didn't know which holes they went into. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't identify, like I couldn't make the connection. Yeah. And so recovery for me was about recovering my whole self, all my feelings and identifying and 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 discovering where my boundaries were. And boundaries are kind of a funny thing because you don't know where they are until you cross them. Yeah. But we need to That's give ourselves good. a little, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, but we need to give ourselves a little bit of grace because as we grow, the boundaries will change. Yeah. Our boundaries are always changing as we grow. And it's not always forward growth. You know, growth is like it ebbs and flows, right? So sometimes we contract and sometimes we expand. And that's why it's so important to be connected to self, pay attention to that gut feeling of when something doesn't feel right. And then having the voice to be, and the words, sometimes all I needed was the words like, "Mm, I'm not really comfortable with this right now. If somebody confronts me with like a question or I don't feel easy about something, or peaceful, I'll be like, hey, can I get back to you on that? I don't think I have an answer for you right now. I don't really have clarity. Can I get back to you on that? Mm-hmm. You know, I used to feel compelled to answer people's questions right in the moment. And and yeah. I didn't know. And I just make something up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of like early on recovery, I would overcommit because, oh, yeah. you know, someone would say, hey, can you come here to the treatment center? And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. And all of a sudden, like I have three people texting on the same day. Hey, where are you? And I'm like, oh, shoot. And it was because yeah. I was over committing. And um, I love what you said about, you know, the boundaries is you have to, you do have to cross them, you know, and especially early on in recovery is like, you know, now all of a sudden you have feelings. I was talking to a sponsor the other day and, and he cried and he was like, man, I don't know why this feels weird. I was like, cause it's the first time you're feeling and that's okay. Oh. You know, that's all right. Oh my um, God. And it's amazing. Yeah. You, you know, we, you, you were talking about self-esteem and boundaries and I think it's, it's a normal practice where people have low self-esteem because when they yeah. cross those boundaries or those boundaries are crossed and yeah. then they feel like they failed. Now they think it's them. Oh my gosh, here I go. Another bad relationship. Here I go. Another time I got angry and I always tell them, Hey, just pause. You're, you're learning your boundaries. And that's, and, yeah. and I want to ask you, I want to stay on this topic of self-esteem because I think it's, it's a very important topic, whether it's in recovery or anything yeah. else. What are some real life tat? You, you gave some points of what you do, but give us a few things that you help people to raise their self-esteem. Yeah. So, um, a service, like you were saying earlier is like probably the quickest way to be- rebuild your self-esteem. They say, if you want to build your self-esteem, you need to do esteemable acts. Mm. Right. Um, but if we take a step back a little bit, first we have to there's a level of forgiveness that's required, self-forgiveness, right? Um, because we do things in addiction that we wouldn't normally do, right? And so we do. So there is a valid reason why we have low self-esteem because we do terrible things sometimes. That's mm-hmm. the truth, yeah. right? And so we have to forgive ourselves. We have to acknowledge reality, right? We're just acknowledging reality. I remember that was so painful in the beginning. Mm. I had to have somebody that created such a safe space for me that I was able to see it and feel it like, wow, I I really did have a part in somebody else's suffering. And that really hurts my heart. You know, I don't want to do that anymore. Right. So there's like a level of self-forgiveness in this safe space. Right. And then um, service is an esteemable act. It's hard to be in service to someone and look in the eyes of gratitude and still feel bad about yourself. Mm. Right. And so we do things to um, really 
to change that, right? That that's an esteemable act, and we start building. But it's really also about connecting with self and taking paying attention. Like I don't know if this was true for men. You tell me. But like self abandonment is a big problem with mm-hmm. women. Like we abandon ourselves a lot to be in service of others. Um, and so not doing that, like really paying attention and acknowledging and validating our own pain, that is the way to build self-esteem because um, it's it's honoring our own selves, right? Like so, so many of us come to recovery with a level of self-hatred, right? Right, And, and so we need to practice empathy and compassion with others mm-hmm. and with ourselves. So that's, you know, service, I would say, is one of the self-forgiveness and service. Yeah, I always say, you know, it's like we we talk about in the rooms, you know, that in the book, it it says selfish and self-centered is the root of all my problems. And, you know, I always say, man, when when you're if anytime I'm having an issue or I have like and I'm feeling low on myself, I can always look at my schedule or my calendar. And most of the time it's because I wasn't working with other people. I was so wrapped up in what I'm doing. And every time it's it's, you know, I made a post the other day about trust God, clean house and help others. And it's like these cliches that, that are in the program, right? They're in the rooms. But I mean, I'm telling you if every single day, like it, it, sometimes it's funny that when I call like my mentor and I call him and I'm like, Hey, you know, this, I've got an issue. He always goes back to like, number one, are you trusting God? <laughs> number two, are you, are you cleaning your own house? Are you looking at the mirror? Like, where's your part? What are you doing that caused this reaction to the other person? And then are you turning? And then right away, it's like, what are you doing for other people? And every time he does that, it's either all three or two or one of those things I'm not doing, you know, and, and yeah. the gratitude of, of giving yourself to somebody else and helping somebody else. Cause it's a truth for me. And you were talking about like for men, like I'm a doer, like I love helping people. I love accomplishing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes, and this is where like I've started to learn about myself is I start to learn that I'm starting to get a sense of self-esteem by my accomplishments. Well, yeah. now I'm becoming accomplished based and now I'm doing accomplishments w- with a motive, you know, instead of just right. doing like, instead of just coming to the, in the house and, and doing the dishes for my wife, I have a motive yeah. now because I have low self-esteem at this point because I'm not yeah. trusting God cleaning house or helping others. And then yeah. after I wash the dishes, if my wife doesn't say anything about it, I'm frustrated now, you know, so, so that's what, <laughs> for me, I, I know I'm, if I'm performance based, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm doing something out of a motive. Um, right. And I also find that, you know, to add to it, I, I find that like when I'm making promises to myself that I don't keep and I, and, and that's right. another one. Um, and yeah. let's, let's talk about, you know, cause what you're saying now about the self-esteem, take us back. Now we're going to backtrack a little bit. You said it was 1994 when you got sober, um, yeah. you know, and, and I do believe the journey before is what created the Arlena Allen who thinks the way <laughs> she thinks today, who, who, who literally is living her life. And then you're helping other people and you're helping other people by what you overcome. So take us a little bit back to what life was like before you got into this place, whether it's childhood, you know, and, and a little bit about your story. Sure. Can we pause for just one second? Absolutely. I'm so afraid my dog is going to pee on the carpet. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, listen, if, if he pees on the carpet, we got more problems. <laughs> if you're listening and you have a dog, you understand. Or if you have kids, you understand. This is let's get real. This isn't like <laughs> we're real people. You know, we got dogs. We got kids. Dog's going to pee on the carpet. Like, it. Th- let's make it happen. Did you get the dog out at least? 
I did. That's yeah. what I'm, all right, good. Nothing on the carpet. Whew. You wouldn't have been able to talk to me the whole time knowing that there's pee on the carpet. So I was, I was waiting for you to get to the questions. I was like, oh, then you can edit it and we can come back. <laughs> I'm not editing that. That is going in the pot. <laughs> <laughs> it's called let's get real what you know what i mean it's real <laughs> that was that was real i was terrified i was like oh no i could hear him barking You're okay good. but you okay so i'm gonna take it i'm gonna get centered again because you were asking me like you know how did we get here basically that's right mm-hmm. and and i'll just keep it real short i'm gonna say that there were two things that happened in my childhood um that kind of shaped it set the stage for what was to come later. Mm-hmm. Um, I ha- I was molested by a neighbor um, when I was really young, like five, I think I was about five years old, let's say. And it went on for a while. I don't know how long. Um, and my parents divorced. Now we were growing up in the, you know, my parents, my mom, uh, my, my dad, more than my mom, uh, you know, they were religious, but um I was, I had these ideas, some, some of this, some of this is like religious trauma, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I got this idea that I needed to be Christ-like or perfect. Like there was this perfectionism that I, I thought I was supposed to live up to. And what I didn't realize in all fairness to the church, what I didn't realize was these were like ideals, like Jesus was an ideal and that we were supposed to try to work towards, but an ideal is a mental construct. It's, it's like the horizon, so the horizon is a mental construct. You can always walk to it, but it will always be off in the distance. That's not something you can ever arrive to. It's the horizon. Mm-hmm. And so what I did, and I missed a lot of things about how, you know, the for, whole forgiveness aspect, you know, there was all like this don't sin, like don't mess up is kind of, and what I learned later is that sin is an archery term. It just means that you miss the mark. That's all. Yeah. Right? Which we always but, do. Yeah. We're not we're we always, always going to miss the mark. <laughs> we're always going to, and that's Okay. Right. And I didn't recognize that it was okay to be imperfect. And I was always asking God to fix me and heal me. And um, I was still human, which was very disappointing to me. And so I just felt like I was failing over and over again. And then when what was what was going on, what was happening to me made me feel like a bad person. And I always wanted to be good. I just never felt that I could be. So at some point, I just gave up. I decided if I can't be good, I'm going to be good at being bad. Hmm. And the root, I used to joke around about that. Like that was a funny thing, but the root of that was, is my belief was, is that I was bad. Yeah. And you know, maybe if I was a better little girl, then daddy wouldn't have left. And, and mind you, dad was right around the corner. I saw him all the time. Best dad ever. Um, so it wasn't like it, but there was, you know, it was hard. And I right. just thought if I had, I had been a better little girl, I was seven when that happened that maybe he wouldn't have left. And my dad was the nurturing one in the house. He was like government guy, Marine guy, but he was the softy. Right. And my mom was, you know, she was very, um, she's kind of a hard ass. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just like, speak ill of my mom, you know, bless her heart. Um, she was an amazing person, but you know, childhood was hard. Right. right? And I just never felt good enough. I, um, felt like I was bad. And so all this like low self-esteem and what I've learned now is that your beliefs about who you are, are, are developed in childhood. And we develop what's called the default mode network. It's your brain's operating system. It's your beliefs and your ideas about yourself that live in your subconscious mind. Mm. Um, 
and, and to heal that, you know, uh, so that's why I started doing, I, in my coaching, I do hypnotherapy because it's a way to get to the subconscious mind and reframe those, uh, like subconscious limiting beliefs. But listen, I didn't know all that back then. All I knew was that I wasn't good enough. I was unlovable. I wasn't worthy. And I had all this pain. And then I discovered drugs and alcohol really early on. My first drink, I was probably between between eight and 10 somewhere. Mm -hmm. My mom had gone out for dinner. My older sister and I were home alone. And I decided it would be a good idea to drink some of this booze that was in the cabinet. I don't even know where this idea came from, but I'll tell you, I remember that first drink like it was yesterday because the booze burned my lips. It burned all the way down. But then when it hit bottom, like that warmth spread through my whole body. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how bad I felt until I felt good. It was the contrast, like the juxtaposition between those two feelings that uh, it was so, it would like burn in my psyche forever. It was like such a profound experience. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the thing. Yeah. This is the thing that's going to make me feel better. And I used uh, alcohol, not, you know, obviously didn't become a daily drinker, binge drinker at age eight, <laughs> or, eight or 10. But you were introduced. Right. Yeah. But that's, that's kind of when it started. And then in junior high, it was, I was drinking before school sometimes, smoking, smoking weed and doing anything that I could to change the way I feel. And, uh, you know, I often say that I feel like the drugs and alcohol saved me in a way, Mm -hmm. because if I had to feel everything that I was feeling, I don't know that I would have survived. I barely survived as it was. Like I hated myself so much. I wanted out. Right. Right. And, and I contemplated suicide. I'd never attempted because I grew up in the church and I, I was really afraid to do that. Um, but uh, over time, my savior became my executioner. Like I was living dangerously. I was putting myself in very dangerous situations. Um, I was drinking and driving. Um, it was it was really dangerous, blacking out the whole nine. And, um, you know, I'd wake up the next morning and sometimes I'd be like, what was that all about? Right. And what I didn't what I learned later is that I was suppressing all my feelings and then when I drank, they just all exploded. Mm-hmm. And that's why I had those two alter egos because I was processing that sadness. You know, Wimpy Wendy, she was sad. And, you know, badass Betsy, I had a lot of anger. And I have come to recognize that anger is like uh, my red flag that I'm actually really sad. I wasn't allowed to feel sadness when I was a little girl, but anger was was okay. And so um, even today, I have to be very conscious and continue my self-care practice because I will revert back to that default mode, right? Like, it's interesting that self-esteem, you know, and I'll just say that I ended up getting sober at 25 through a series of events. And then I did the 12 steps and it completely changed my life. And I was lucky in the sense that I didn't have kids or you know, a lot of, res- I didn't have, I didn't lose a lot. I didn't have a lot. I was 25. Right. Yeah. So I was really lucky. I got all new friends. I, I met my husband when I was five months sober. We've been together 28 years. I, they say, don't get into a relationship your first year of sobriety. Yeah. And I tend to agree with that. We, I just was kind of like this weird, sort of this weird outlier. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> funny. I'm the same way. I was three months sober and I did even worse <laughs> my, when I met my wife she was, I never knew she was in recovery before, 
but we met and she was she was on the ver she was like drinking like heavily and she she had relapsed for a while she went through a divorce and stuff and when i met her i was like in recovery fired up about life um and then she told me she used to be in recovery and then i took her to a meeting and she picked up her white chip so like i did the work I, I did what they actually definitely don't say it was an outlier situation i just remember my sponsor yeah. saying um, I was like, why do they say you don't get in relationships? And he told me, well, because she'll become your, and he told me all these reasons why. So like I went to her house that day. I said, listen, you got to do your women's. I'm going to go to my men's. And she's like, okay, yeah. yeah, you know, and we've been married five years. Well, you so. brought her to, yes, I, I don't know. You brought her to, back to recovery. So yeah. well, that's awesome. Right. Yeah. It worked. Yeah, I mean, we, I agree with you. I don't encourage really, it, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's because in, you know, when you first get sober, you're really sick and you don't even know it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you have to, pro you're in crisis mode. And so you don't want to attract somebody while you're in crisis mode That's right. because you will change. Recovery changes you. It, make, it returns you back to the best of you. That's right. Yeah. And if you're attracting somebody from the worst of you, what mm -hmm. do you think you're going to attract? Yeah. It's and you're learning to love yourself at that point. You know, like, yeah. so how are you going to give that love to somebody else? And then I also found that, you know, when you're going to have tough days in early in recovery, I mean, even now you do, but they're tough, tougher days because you don't know how to deal with them. You, you've been given tools, yeah. but you're still like on that, like, do I use it? I'm, I'm confused. Um, and then you never want to use somebody of the opposite sex to make you feel better. Um, mm. but yet you yeah, were making somebody or higher power. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but you know what? We run it the way you guys run it. Like, uh, I went to women's meetings. He went to men's meetings. Mm. And whenever there was a problem, I had a sponsor, I would call her and be like, Bobby did this, Bobby did that. And she'd be like, she'd listen and she'd go, okay, well, I don't sponsor him. So right. let's look at you. You had a good sponsor. I love that. Yeah. I don't sponsor him. So look at let's look at your part. Let's talk about what is within your control. And we would often talk until I got to the place of empathy for him. Mm -hmm. How I would get to the root of my behavior. I would, you know, we would talk about, you know, a problem can't be solved with the same level of thinking that created it. Right. Mm, that, and that was like, that's one of the first things I heard. When that's I a nugget. I wish I had like a nugget mm. bomb or something. I would drop oh, it. Well, right listen, now. Yeah. That's an Albert Einstein quote. Yeah. That's a good. problem can't be solved with the same level of thinking that created it. Right. It was my thinking mm -hmm. and my thinking was coming from my belief system and my belief system was run by my emotions and so I'd feel a feeling, think a thought, come to a conclusion based on the off of the information that I had, and I would take an action and then invoke the law of cause and effect, right? And so what the end result of that is I felt like I was on a track. I was always ending up in the same place. I was always ending up in the same place of loss, confusion, disconnection, sadness, feeling like I was alone. It's that deep, dark despair that it would always end up, right? And, and, and so that's why I was so grateful for the process of the four steps specifically, because it helped me break down my thinking and discover the errors and the presuppositions of my belief system mm -hmm. so that I could change the fundamental, like when you were talking about uh, trust God, clean house, work with others, mm -hmm. like that takes it back to the fundamental setting of being grounded, being humble. Like step seven is honestly one of my favorite steps. Uh, you know, in the 12 and 12, there's audio recordings that you can get for free online at aa.org. Yep. I love listening to step seven, even now in long-term sobriety, because um, it's very easy for me, especially in times of stress when like my nervous system gets hijacked 
Um, if you experience trauma in childhood, the brain develops in a different way. I didn't know that, mm -hmm. right? But what I know is that there are ideas and practices that right-size me, that help me feel connected and grounded again, and so that I can move forward from a peaceful place. I can own my part, recognize how I'm affecting others, mm -hmm. and um, feel more peaceful. And really, at the end of the day, I want to feel peaceful. I want to feel connected. I want to feel connected to love. Yeah. Right. Love for others. Love for myself. Love for a higher power. Mm -hmm. So um, that's you know, got to you got to bring it all the way back to oh, yeah. you know where the error and the thinking. Yeah, and you were just talking about the you know I had a, a coach one time tell me, and I've been using this so much because it makes so much sense. Every human being they want to two things they want to feel understood and they want to be heard, you know, and that's how we feel oh, connected. You know, we when. Yeah. Go ahead. You, you. And yeah, just, just, I was agree. I was going to agree with you yeah. and say the three things that every single human being wants is to be seen, heard and understood. That's right. And that's why when we're in real, when we're in an argument with someone, we start yelling because we don't feel heard. That's right. You know, we get louder and louder. We're, we're also not listening. Mm -hmm. Right. But the quickest way to deescalate an argument, especially in a relationship is just to take a step back and go, what is, you know, try to understand what it is that they're saying to you. And you, it's not agreeing with it or admitting that you're wrong. It's like, are you saying that you felt, you know, just repeat back to them what they said. It's like, am I hearing you right? Yeah. And, you know, they can validate it or change it or whatever. And the three little thing, three little words, maybe it's four, is um, I could see how you'd feel that way. I could see how you'd feel that way. Maybe five. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but right. people just... People cannot get off it until you acknowledge it and validate it. Like people cannot get off pain until it's validated, yeah. acknowledged and validated. It's not admitting that you're responsible for it or that you agree with it or, or that you can change it. But it's just, oh, I could see how you'd feel that way. And it's like, thank you. Like that's, sometimes that's, that's right. all we need. Yeah. And it puts your armor up. Like, like it's funny. Um, we just had a real life situation. I'll get real here. I'll tell a real story. So. Um, and it's same thing. It goes back to feeling like what you just said, you know, I want to be seen. I want to be understood. I want to be heard, you know, mm -hmm. and, and there was a situation with my son. He had asked, we came home from my wife and I went on a date and my son asked to get him some Oreos. I said, yeah, no worries. I'll get you with some Oreos and milk. And it's very simple. Right. And I put, then, then all of a sudden I have two little ones, a three and a two year old. And my son that I'm talking about, he's eight. So it, it, we had gotten home already at 9.30 and his bedtime's 9.30. So without me even thinking, I just said yes, but then I put the girls to bed and then I, I get done. It's like 10.15. He's like, hey, where's my Oreos? And I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. You know, it's, it's, I realize it's 10.15. It's time for bed. And he got so upset. You know, he got so mad. And in my mind, I'm not thinking at this moment, he just wanted to be understood. Let me pause real quick and tell him, hey, Aiden, I'm so sorry. You know, I know I did tell you and, and I apologize. I went to like, hey, I get you Oreos every night. You shouldn't, you should be grateful that, you know, it's one night that you're not going to get Oreos. So my wife goes to talk to him and I'm laying in bed and I get a thought that comes on mind. Let me go talk to him. You know, let me go let him know. Let me go express it. And she stopped me before I went in there because she's like, hey, I'm already, you know, he's going to bed now. Let's not press it. And I immediately got angry. And, and we talked about mm -hmm. anger being, it's a secondary emotion. Yeah. And I went back to lay down and I'm hard headed. So sometimes I'll do it like in an hour. This one took me a little bit less than 24 hours to actually pause because mm -hmm. all my mind after because what I believe when we're dealing with anger and I'm angry, all my mind is telling me is what she did wrong. 
Like she shouldn't have stopped me at the door. She should have let me parent my kid too. You know, this is all this selfish and self-centeredness. And, and, and if I keep going on that cycle, it's a terrible, like I was there. Like I almost felt like I took my mind into another reality and it was a horrible place to be. And then finally, when I came back to earth and I said, okay, what could have I done differently? You know, what, what did I do wrong? I responded out of anger. I didn't, I didn't, I could have brought my wife and said, Hey, should I go talk to him? Should I pause? Um, and that goes back to the self-reflection. I, I do. I wanted to add to that just because I was thinking about the seen and understood. And, and I think that's where a lot of times when we're dealing with problems in our life, we, we, we don't pause, you know, we just react. Um, but you, you did talk about childhood trauma now. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a real question. Do you believe everybody, you know, the reason why they're, they, they are the way they are, they have the struggles that they struggle with, whether it's self-esteem, self-love, do you believe it's that everybody does have some form of childhood trauma in their life? I mean, so there's a, a couple of different kinds of trauma. Like there's different kinds, mm-hmm. like sexual abuse, divorce. Those were traumatic experiences for me. Um, I saw my dog get run over by a car. Like that was a traumatic experience. Um, but there's little traumas too, like running up to mom with an open heart, wanting to show her your thing that you created at school and she snaps or yells at you and shuts you down. You know, that's like a little T trauma, but it's like those little hurts that we carry with us. What happens is we walk away from those experiences believing that there's something wrong with us. And then we carry that. And from that place, we start making decisions. That's the error in the in the presupposition in your subconscious beliefs. Something's wrong with me. So what do we do? We overcompensate. We try harder. We manipulate to get what we want. We're afraid. And so we're behaving in ways that are rooted in fear, right? And so I do believe that those wounds, pains, whatever you call it, everybody has them. I mean, look at the world that we live in today. Like you don't make it to your twenties without some kind of trauma, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's, uh, you know, we witness things that are difficult. So I do believe, uh, you know, I, I've heard some people claim that they had a great childhood. They had, they were safe. They were protected. they had loving parents. They're like, I have no reason to be an addict. And that's, that happens. Like, that's a thing. So like, not everybody, like I, I would like to, you know, deconstruct some of those. Like, I would love to get into it with some of those people to find yeah. like what else is going on. Mm-hmm. Like what else is going on? Yeah. There? I think there, you but, know, there's a part of me, cause you were just saying somebody who like grew up, like you look at my life, my mom and dad never had job. I mean, I know your parents, you know, yes, they got but you had trauma. I know your story and you had trauma. There at was, 14. there was trauma there. But if you would have asked me that question before I uncovered the trauma, I would have said yeah. I didn't have any childhood trauma, but even the little stuff, like, like my dad always correcting me when I did something yeah. wrong, but never, yeah. never validated any of my good, you know, got to celebrate the wins. Right. So like there, I do, yeah. you know, there's a part of me that thinks I was curious from your side doing the coaching, like. I, I would love to talk to that person because I do think there's, you know, if, if somebody's struggling with self-esteem, I, I really agree with you on there's got to be something in their childhood and there's a reason why you feel you're not good enough, you know. You know what's so interesting is you, if you read enough books on trauma, you will hear people talking about their experiences like, um, oh, I didn't have any trauma. And then you sp- you start hearing some of their childhood stories and you're like, Oh my God, that was, uh, that's absolutely trauma, but they don't see it as trauma because for them it's normal. 
Yeah. Like they don't know that other people are not having that experience. Right. And maybe and the so tra- the word trauma, like, like maybe people hear the word trauma and they think it's gotta be like for me, like you were saying, I was molested when I was younger as well. And that would, people would say that's trauma, but to somebody, maybe yeah. my dad, not, you know, telling me I was a great job or never validated me. That's, they don't look at that as trauma. Yeah. That's like complex PTSD kind of, it's like persistent, pervasive, ongoing, like having a critical parent kind of does something to your head. Mm-hmm. It, it does for some people. So like you and I have like the critical parents so we're overachievers, right? right? We're doers. We get validation through performance, right? And, and so, um, but people who think that they don't have trauma, I would just urge them to start sharing their stories, mm-hmm. right? You know, start, you know, and that's what happens in coaching. You know, I often say that I make people cry for a living right. because, <laughs> you know, you create a safe space and then the stories come out. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's the, when you're in the presence of someone who sees, hears, understands with compassion and empathy, it will allow the thing that you've buried so deep to come out and be released. And it's typically released through tears. And that's a good thing. That's mm-hmm. the brave thing that is, you know, we do recovery together. It's a support, like, that's why they call it a support system, because we are supporting someone as they face their their pain and resolve it to resolution. Right. That's what we're trying to do. We process emotion to resolution. Yeah. And, and I mean, I would like, I like what you just said about sharing your story because, um, it, it's, it's amazing as I'm thinking, like, I always think about people in recovery, but I do also think about the people that listen to this, that they're not in the rooms or there's, you know, they're not sharing yeah. their stories. And I almost think like, how awesome would it be if, you know, cause there's probably some people, I think we all struggle with self-esteem. You know, I have mm-hmm. some days where, yeah, I feel great about myself. And I have some days where I think, you know, I have low self-esteem that day. Now I've yeah. uncovered it because of the rooms and, and I went through my steps and I think there's some people, maybe they, they mask it with buying stuff to make themselves feel better or getting in relationships or, or, or other stuff. And maybe they're listening to this and they're, and they're pausing now and thinking like, okay, I, I've never told anybody I have low self-esteem, but as I'm listening to you, yeah, there's probably some low self-esteem, but Joseph and Arlene, Arlene, I don't know where that came from. You know, I don't know where it is. And I would almost wonder if, right. Like if they paused maybe and like even recorded themselves, like telling their story about when they were a kid or uh, what would you, what would you say to that person actually? Man, I, you know, so when I think about healing self-esteem, I always come back to like the self-care practices of like prayer, meditation, especially meditation. And most people will tell me I can't meditate. And what they're really saying is, is I don't know how to sit with the feelings that come up when I'm still you know, these other things like relationships or buying things or listen, we're talking about addiction, right? And the purpose of addiction is distraction. It's distraction from the pain that we don't know how to resolve. Mm, That's good. And so, right. So we, Mm. we don't know how to resolve it. So we distract from it. We have to survive. It's a survival instinct. Right. And so, um, the, so I would say if you don't think you have trauma or you don't have anything going on, sit and meditate for a half an hour and watch your thoughts. Most people are so squirrely, like they can't even sit. That's a sign that there is something underneath the surface that you have disassociated from. That is detachment. If you're like, people say to me, I I know what to do. I just don't do it. Or I keep attracting the same. It's like all the signs are there. Those are the symptoms 
of a deeper problem. I always say that we only allow into our lives what we believe we deserve on a subconscious level. And if you don't know what you believe you deserve, take a look at the outside. Like we're living in the residual of all of our decisions of yesterday, right? Like I bought the shirt a long time ago, do your hair a certain kind of way, certain furniture, Mm -hmm. you know, how you spend your time. It's all, when you dial it all the way back, it's, it starts from what do I believe I deserve? What am I capable of? Right? Like, who am I? And that's what the self-esteem work is about. And recovery is sort of like getting back to innocence. It's about getting back to who you really are, like re- or reinventing your identity, like recognizing that some of the things that like some people say, oh, I'm just I'm just a procrastinator. I'm just I'm a late I'm late all the time. That's just who I am. Those are things that can be changed, right? Those are behavior changes. And it's like, it's so funny. Like the premise of the class, it's like, we all know what we should be doing, but we don't do it. A lot of us practice self-sabotage. And we were talking about this before the default mode network. It's like, we have this thermostat in our brain. We don't get too high. We don't get too low. We kind of live in this comfort zone, right? And so what we're trying to do is elevate. And so your brain is designed to keep you safe and your brain will be like the best predictor of survival is past behavior. Mm. And so that's why we keep repeating like these patterns. And I would argue that we don't do the self-care because ultimately we don't know how to resolve the pain that's inside or we don't feel like we're worth it. And so sometimes the work I do with women to get sober is to first address the self-esteem so that they feel worthy of the solution. Wow, that's right? good. Like, right? Like mm-hmm. you got to feel worthy of the solution to be able to receive it, to receive the love. You know, forgiveness is a big, self-forgiveness is a big part of that. You start hearing other people's stories, they do horrible things and you realize, oh, but I love that person. And so you recognize that you have this capacity of forgiveness and then you start looking at your own stories and you go, I have that story too. Maybe I deserve that forgiveness. Maybe I can deserve something better. And then we just build from that place. And pretty soon, and self-esteem is kind of funny because it's like you wouldn't go to the gym once and expect to stay in shape forever, right? You would need a salad and think, oh, that's it. I'm good. Like you don't do the steps one time. You don't meditate one time. It's a practice. It's a practice of, you know, you build up your self-esteem and your value and self-worth and what you're capable of. And if you stop doing the work, you slowly, so slowly that you don't even recognize it, that you return back to your default Mm. and then start life gets challenging again. Yeah. So that's why the clean house work with others, trust God, that is sort of speaks to me. I can definitely tie that to the self-esteem practice of writing, like journaling, prayer, meditation, and service, right? Those are all things that build your self-esteem so that you can kind of create from that place, a place of love and contentment. If you think about the feelings that you want to feel, it's typically like contentment, peace, joy, achievement, like, you know, this that's kind of what we're what we're after. So why not spend a little bit of time in meditation? What is what does accomplishment feel like? What does contentment feel like? What if there was nothing to improve in this moment? Right? What if there was nothing to do or achieve or try for? Just accept that the present moment is perfect just as it is. Right. Right? It's just allow yourself to have a few minutes every day. And that's what meditation is for me. It's a few minutes every day where I can allow myself to feel at peace, feel like complete. 
And um, mm-hmm. it does something to my nervous system. It regulates my nervous system. And, you know, a lot of recovery is about emotion management, right? Oh, yeah. So it, it helps me process my feelings to resolution and stay regulated. Yeah. It's like sometimes we feel like we have to be in this fight or flight mode. You know, we feel like we just have to keep going and going and going. And and like I almost say, like sometimes our my mind takes me to the opposite. It's like, OK, if I need to feel better, I need to go here, go do this, go do that. And I've learned this when I, you know, I hired a coach about maybe six months ago and, and he told me, he said, Joseph, you're, you're, you're constantly just being a doer. And what I'm going to yeah. need you to do is be a beer. Like I'm going to need you because you're chasing after these things because it, you, it, it is making you feel better because you love the instant gratification. You look, you've been to prison, you've done this, you've had to fight or flight your whole life. Right. And for the first time in your life, I'm asking you not to do it. So it's going to be resistance. You know, it's going to be, <laughs> and, and I'm saying that because like, you know, I think a lot of people, it's not like you're just going to wake up tomorrow. It's going to be easy. Like you said, you're not just going to go to the gym, eat a salad, but like, Man, like we're all chasing that feel good, the, the feelings you talked about, the contentment. Mm-hmm. Man, there was, there was, I can't wait to re-listen to what you just said because um, it was mm-hmm. so much. And, and I think yeah. we're all chasing that. I think every single human is. And we feel like if we just go do stuff, we'll get it. And I have found, at least for me, that when I do pause and I am in those meditative states and I am reflecting yeah. on like, what does it feel like to feel accomplished? What does it feel like to be happy and peaceful? When I lay my head at night, I'm smiling. I'm not stressed out thinking about what, what do I, what does that feel like? And I pause. I almost feel like I I all of a sudden I feel it now. I don't have to go do anything to achieve it. I feel like I'm present. I was, that was, that just helped me just listening to it. I'm like, man, that's so true. I hope, I hope somebody's listening to that. (laughs) I really do. I mean, somebody's got to be listening, you know, at least one person. I I think. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing you. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's that, uh, it's those feelings of, it's so funny. We put all these obstacles in between us and peace, mm-hmm. right? It's like, if I do this, then I can feel peace. If he loves me, then I can feel peace. If I make enough money, then I'll feel peace. No, no, mm-hmm. I can feel peace right now. And actually something you said in our conversation last time, you were talking about, Forgiveness is given. You talked about the grace, like just receiving grace. You can't earn your way into God's favors. Something along those lines. Is that close? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I was like, wow. I thought about that after our call because I I go, oh, that's right. I I, there is no to God does not have a to do list for me. That's right. Yeah. Like His grace is given, and I forget it all the time because that's how my brain is wired. Yeah, And so I just have to give myself that compassion, like have that self-compassion. They say that em- empathy is the antidote to shame. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, and when I, and that's the whole, like, oh, I could see how you'd feel that way. You know, um, I often tell my husband, you know, or so funny, I give him the language I need to hear sometimes. That's right. Like I've learned. I was just thinking that, that when you said that, I was like, we give really empathy was- to others, but are we giving empathy to ourselves? Well, listen, I can even ask for empathy. I didn't know that I could do that. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the line of our relationship, I was like, okay, his name's Bob. All right, Bob, I'm going to unload. I'm just going to be like, what? women process out loud, right? You don't need to fix anything. You don't need to do it. But what I want to hear at the end of this tirade, right. <laughs> that I'm going to unload on you. All I need is a poor baby. I could see how you'd feel that way. Give mm. me a hug. It's so funny. You just said that my wife, I can't wait till she listened literally last night, like last night, 
she was telling me how she's tired and, and you know, my wife works with me too because I own a fence company and, you know, we have kids at the house and we have the house, taking care of the house and work and her health. So she was telling me last night and she was just telling me how she was tired and, and it was at night. And I was like, well, thankfully, you know, like I was trying to give her solutions and she looked at me, she goes, she goes, yes, exactly. She goes, babe, listen, I love you and I know like you're just solution mindset, but sometimes I just need you to give me grace and have compassion and hold me and tell me it's okay. You're tired. Like, I don't need a solution. I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, and you just said that I'm like, isn't that so true? You know, we, we want to be solution mindset. And sometimes they just want somebody to listen. You know, they just want that compassion. I think the instinct to help is so strong and I have a two, right? Mm -hmm. Like I immediately want to provide solution because I am a, (laughs) I'm a, I'm a Wikipedia of information. Then I want to fix some shit. Right. But, um, I will tell him preemptively, like I say it before I unload, I go, just so you know, I just need a poor baby at the end of this. And he's like, got it. Right. And I go, blah, and I wait and I go, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gesturing on a podcast, yeah. but I'll give him the hand. Like, okay. Wink, wink. Now this yeah. is your cue. And he goes, Oh, poor baby. Right. Yeah, I oh, I can see how you feel. You know what else he does for me that I think is hilarious. If I have a problem with like a girlfriend or a friend or something, he'll be like, do you want me to hate them? <laughs> and I just you want somebody to sit out. in with your feelings that's the real <laughs> well it's so funny because it like snaps me out of the emotion like my mm-hmm. when I'm angry my emotions get hijacked and I can't even think straight right I'm in fight or flight mode yeah right it's fear sets you into fight or flight mode it's normal especially those of us in recovery but uh, yeah, it's so funny just to be like, I forgot what my point was. Damn it. That's what happens when you're like, no, it's good. Like, Honestly, it's, it's like we, we were just talking about like sitting on our feelings and then you had mentioned. Oh, I hate. Yeah. Do you want me to hate them? Yeah. And um, when he says that I'll, I'll unload and he'll be like, oh, do you want me to hate them? And it makes me laugh because how ridiculous is that? Right. Like, I love my friends. Of course I love my friends. I'm just a little <laughs> bit mad. And it's just, but he is like my ride or die. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Like he is always on my side. And I did not grow up with that. Mm-hmm. Like my, my dad's form of love was to always play devil's advocate to sharpen my critical thinking skills, I right. guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it never, I never felt understood I was always on the defensive. I was always arguing and trying to get him to see, hear, and understand me. And it was never, that was probably my predominant feelings when I was growing up as I never felt understood when I was growing up. Yeah. It's so nice that as, you know, I've, you know, been in recovery for a long time that I can cultivate relationships that provide me with the love and support in the way that I need it. Like we can actually cultivate that. Like that's yeah. things can, we can choose different kinds of relationships. And as our self-esteem improves, those negative relationships naturally fall away. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need to tell the lady who's complaining about her husband, oh, she need, you need to do, he's do this, he's that. We don't even talk about that. We're like, oh, what's your self-care practice like? And as she feels better about herself, she starts making different decisions. Yeah. And it's, you know, me and you grew up similar, um, you know, like we, I was just thinking, uh, my mind just went back to when we were talking about performance based and, and having to perform to please God, um, mm. you know, and that's how I grew up. You know, I grew up that because of all my mistakes and my failure, and this kind of ties into self-esteem, but also spirituality mm. as well, because, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you're performance based and you feel like I have to perform in front of God and, and if I'm, if I'm good, God will love me, right? If I'm doing the mm-hmm. right things, God will love me. Well, listen, I want to do good every day, 
and I never want to get mad and I never want to, you know, do wrong, but like I'm a human, I want to do everything I can not to and things will happen. And then if if I'm doing those things and think, ah, well, you know what? I don't know if God will love me. And that's why I I always talk about the grace. It's like, no, no, no. God loves you. Whatever you believe in your higher power, but he loves you regardless of what you do. You don't have to do anything for him to love you. Just be, you know, just be. And that's that for me, that that's what that's what changed my spirituality, you know, was when I realized that I didn't have to do anything to get closer to God. It took the weight off of myself. You know, yeah, and I yeah, think that's yeah. so important. Um, man, I, I wish we can go on for another time. This has been so good. Um, you know, I didn't <laughs> yeah. know. I love that's why I love these real organic conversations. And I didn't know where this would go. And we talked so much about self-esteem. And, and I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's exactly where it needed to go. Um, number one, because I just I, I always pray before I get on these podcasts for God to take these, mm-hmm. you know, th- these conversations wherever he wants to go, because somebody will hear it, even if it's one and whatever they need to hear. Let us talk about it. So I think, you know, in the world today, I think we all struggle with self-esteem, whether you're in recovery yeah. or not. Um, you, you gave a lot of valid things. Um, obviously you've, you've helped out us so much. You've helped me so much. And I know somebody listening has got some value. How can people connect with you and how can we bring you value? Um, if you want to visit soberlifeschool.com, um, there's, uh, links to the podcast, uh, reviews for the podcast are always greatly appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like you, you said something on my podcast where you were like, reach out. I really want to talk to you. I feel the same way. I got the time. This is yeah. all I do all day, every day. And this is my, this is my purpose is I want to connect with people. And, you know, I've had people uh, put time on my calendar. You can put time on my calendar. I'll talk to anybody for a half an hour for free. You right. know, it's like, how can I, how can I be of service? Like I have been so blessed. I'm so grateful that, uh, you know, and I've had all the struggles about God and like losing my faith and finding it and losing it and finding it. I mean, that's just over 28 years. I mean, this is how, that's how it goes. And a lot of people don't talk about what long-term sobriety feels like, you know, you can circle all the way back to crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just say that. And so that's why we need each other. Right. And that's why I keep doing these conversations because, um, you know, I feel like at my heart, I'm a teacher, but what I really want to do is help alleviate suffering, but it fills my heart. Mm-hmm. It fills my heart when someone is saying, Hey, what do you think about this? They explain a situation and we can break it down and find some solution. I want to help, fi- help people find their solutions. I'm not money driven. It's like, I'm good. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so I do want to connect just like you. I was so glad that you said that on my podcast. It reminded me, it's like, Oh yeah, me too. Right. Yeah. I love that. I love that about us. <laughs> right. Forgive us. And, and honestly, you know, like if you're listening to this, like, you know, I found because I've said that so much and I found people struggle like, OK, they hear it and they're like, oh, it would be cool to connect with you. And I always yeah. tell them, like, look, if you want to connect, okay. you don't have to like it's not like you are you don't need to send Arlena or Joseph a message and be like, unload. You can just say, hey, I heard you on the podcast and it was really awesome. Thanks so much. I related to, like if there's something you related to. I've had I, I can tell you right now in my life. I've had conversations where one conversation completely changed the trajectory of my life. And if oh, yeah. if people like Arlena and me are, are just telling you literally to reach out to us and just have that conversation, you never know where it's going to go. You don't know what perspective you're going to be given. That could change the trajectory of your life and just how you yeah. feel, even if it's just one day. So take that. Yeah. Just I, I pray and I, I do these things because I'm like, please, like I know people out there need to talk to people and they need to open up. Yeah. And there's two people who are freely giving themselves to you. 
And all you have to do is shoot them a message, shoot them a DM. I'll have Arlena's, yeah. I'll have her stuff all in the, on the links, post it to the podcast and just send a message and say, Hey, I heard you guys on the, say whatever. Hey, what's up? Whatever you got to say. And, and you never know what's going to do. Arlena, yeah. thanks so the, much. The funny thing about, just one more thing. The funny no, thing about go. me and you is like, we, we know how to carry a conversation. All you oh, have yeah. to do is say hi. <laughs> that's it. And you're like, blah, blah, blah. We're waiting. We're like, Hey, what's up? How are you? You liked it? Oh, that's awesome. Tell me about you. <laughs> yeah. All you got to do is say hi. That's and I'm it. your girl. There you go. And I'm your guy. So girls are guys. You have no excuse. We're, we're here to help. Arlena, thanks so much for your time. I'm so glad we did this. This is the second conversation we had. I'm glad I got to get to know you a little bit better. We'll definitely stay connected and we'll have all your links and all your stuff. I can't wait for that book to come out. I will definitely be getting one and I'll promote it. So send me your stuff. Guys, if you heard this, hopefully you got some value from it. And I say this all the time. You know, if you got something from it or you know somebody that could hear this that could get some something from it, just share it with them. Shoot them shoot them the podcast, share it with them. This is free stuff we're giving out because we want somebody to be helped, even if it's one person. So if you do like this post or I'm not post, I'm so used to saying post on, on Instagram, but if if you do like this podcast, you did enjoy this podcast, share it with it, review it with it so more people can hear it. Guys, thanks for tuning in and thanks for letting us share it.